Welcome to Sunday Chats 969, the podcast where you can listen back to interviews that were first broadcast on All FM 96.9 as part of the Sunday Tea Show with me, Ruth O'Reilly. On today's episode, we are chatting to the amazing Jack Corner, aka Leon the Pig Farmer, and it's ahead of his performance for the Levy Punk Weekendo, which is taking place in Levensium this very weekend. Welcome to the Sunday Tea Show, right here on 96.9 All FM, on your radio, allfm.org, wherever you are in the world, online. Joined by me, Ruth O'Reilly, delighted to be keeping you company. Here at award-winning All FM, they call us the real voice of Manchester. And my real voice from Manchester today is the fantastic Leon the Pig Farmer, a.k.a. Jack Corner. And I think that I I would describe you as a born-again man, even though you're not originally from Manchester. Would that be correct? That would be correct. I'm the doctor's son. I wasn't sure how to introduce you, because you've got these two names. You're an author, you're a performance poet, you're a music artist, and we're quite privileged to get you here today, because it's been um, a massively busy week for you. Yeah, I've been all over the North West and into North Wales. I've just come back from Clangothland Fringe. Glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope you got it right in case they are listening. Um, and I, I, I was comparing a music stage there with Spoken Word yesterday and I was up in Accrington earlier on in, in the week and then this week now when I get home I'll be meet and greet by the wife and then the music instruments come out ready for um, Tromline's Fringe with the Dirt on Friday then back to Levens Hume next Sunday. Woohoo! We've got like really good timing with this because we, we planned to have you on this. We arranged this ages ago and then just like in the past week, I realised that it is actually Lev Punk Fest yeah. and you are one of the headlining acts for that. Oh, whether I'm headlining, yeah. but I'm, One I'm, of them, I'm, I think. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm one of the um, set performers on the punk poetry stage on the Sunday. On the Sunday. 5.30-ish, I think. 5.00, right. Okay. So that's literally at this kind of time span, more or less, but that will be next Sunday. It's not the first time that you've done that, though, is it? Second time I'll have performed at the Klondike, yeah. Yeah. I did. There was a festival, and I think it it occurred last weekend um, for for the second time. So um, I did, a, like again, which I've done a few times, I was a uh, compare on the main stage where I do introductory spoken word sets of about two to three minutes, introduce okay. the band, mm. get off. If I'm familiar with the bands and musicians, or if I'm not and they're willing, I sometimes do a collaborative uh, intro piece wow. at the beginning. That, that that's that's amazing I, I think this is one of the things that, that I really like about everything that you do Leon because you, you're not just in one creative genre you're really this creative ch- chameleon that, that switches from doing one thing to doing another thing um, but your journey is a very in- inspiring one because it's like you've got this whole second career as a, as a, as a rock star and a poet and, and an author. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how it actually started for you? I guess the pivotal point was March the 9th, 2019, when I woke up drunk in a police station. Wow, you even remember the date. Yeah, probably, Gosh. probably remember the time. I woke up in a police station the night before. I'd had a pretty nasty incident on a tram and I'd experienced half an hour of what transpired to be disassociation syndrome where I went into fight or flight. And this didn't come out until a few months down the line when I'd started therapy and being assessed psychologically mm. because of what had happened and, and how I then realised what I was feeling and my how my ac- social activity was a detriment to my life and to people around me. Um, I'd become, probably five years preceding that, quite an habitual weekend binge drinker. And, and, okay. and, and this was probably, and it, it, it has been said now, due to blocking out a lot of things that had happened in my younger years. Right. So um, when I got involved with cognitive behaviour therapy, I, I um, 
registered very high on anxiety levels and some levels of depression. And um, I only got that help because I went to Healthy Minds and uh, after curling up in a ball at my local general practitioners. And it, it turns out that I a lot of trauma that I'd seen in the army and um, certainly certain aspects from growing up in a single parent family had caused me a lot of anxious anxiousness very much like anxiety mm-hmm. and, and it was things that I had to attack head on mm. so I took it to the hills where I live and started walking and and that's how the words came out they literally just unraveled in my head and I started to Gosh. think positive or think really dark thoughts and, mm. and I put them into a phone into a recorder and I came home and looked on google of what's good things to get your head in a good place and I started writing all these things down the good and the bad and I ended up unnaturally just well, naturally, but unnecessarily not planned, putting them into poetry form. I think the fascinating thing about that is you are such a natural performer for anyone that is ever lucky enough to, to see you, but it seems like as if it was so uh, accidental from, from your PTSD journey. Yeah, it was, nev- it was never been intended. Mm. Um, I think once I'd got the platform, everything that I've driven now is intended. Right, uh, yeah. Because I am busy, industrious, and got lots of different facets to, to the artistry. But I'd always admired musicians and read books, but never during my te- late teens, 20s, like some people have dreamed of being in a indie punk rock band or whatever. Yeah. I'd never had any aspiration for that. And they really, they really work hard to 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 achieve it. I think like one of the reasons that that I said that I felt that you know you're you're a reborn mank is because of the the way you have been able to to mingle with some of Manchester's finest with, with your music work. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That, that, that's quite few, fascinating. Met a few iconic heritage people on the way, and mm-hmm. had references to some other ones while I've been performing and, and as an adopted son of Manchester oh, yes. although coming from Yorkshire um, which I do throw in there but it's um, yeah I've been took to the scene very gladly and openly with open arms mm-hmm. and there has been people that are well known in this city uh, who are still regular musicians that have welcomed me with and um, embraced me into the scene which, mm-hmm. is, which is lovely these are the people I've been listening to since I was a teenager and, yeah. and to have them buy records mm-hmm. or share a stage with me is like it's it's crazy it's it's Clint Boone is a fan he could literally call him a fan of yours I he's think. bought the album he's bought yeah. the vinyl yeah and yeah. I have friends in EMF that have bought the album and I've toured with with uh, uh, not toured so much but I've got I went on tour I've, I've, when they've been there I've, I've done gigs with people as support acts or introductory sets with some other musicians that have done acoustic sets so yeah it's it's good Without me being a name dropper, go onto my social media and have a look at people I'm grinning with. Um, yeah, well... I met, I met a good Manchester icon last night. I was down in Hangothan and I had a good chat with Mr Scruff, the DJ, afterwards. Oh, wow. So I was having a good night with Gosh. him last night. So um, I let him know about what Lee and the Pig Farm is. It turns out a few mutual mates, so I've tried to... Ask him if he wants to come home and see what I'm about. So. All, all in a day's work for, for you, yeah, Leon. <laughs> I, I have been known to, to overpower and, and, and get involved in the networking scene quite a lot. And I think that's part of the job. If you if you don't network and sell yourself, you yeah. don't have, if you don't have... If you not have um, confidence in your art, then of course. It, it's, it's, it might stagnate. I'm not saying it will, but you, you've got to have confidence in what you do and, and, and knowledge that what you're doing is right. And if you've got that, sell it as a product. Sell it as an art form. Yes. And, and let people know that you, you, you like what you do mm-hmm. and you want to get it out there to more people. I think we need to explain to the listeners at, at this point that one of the reasons that you actually were suffering with PTSD was it was off the, the back of a, a 10-year army career, yeah. which is something that people will never associate the army with the writing poetry and stuff like that, do they? They never mm, really do. No, I, I think the sort of liberal libertarianism of the art world doesn't ever get connected to the military. They're seen as probably polar opposites of mm-hmm. career paths. I, 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 like I fell into the art world, I probably fell into a military career as a as a lad growing up or in, in younger years on a council estate and then 
growing up in a in a pub with his mum and stepdad and not knowing what he wanted to do because he didn't want to run a pub and I didn't want to do some jobs my mates were doing. Um, I floundered. Um, as, as every young kid, I'd probably want to be a footballer. I'd had a couple of trials and never made it. And then going into a sporting career, I thought about it. Um, it just never happened. And mm. one day... Uh, I spoke to a lad who joined the army and I thought that might be a good idea to escape the, cur- the current area of where I was because there was nothing there that I thought suited me. I had no real intention of university. Probably, In fact, I probably didn't get enough qualifications. So um, yeah, That's so funny, isn't it? Because everything that you're doing now, there'll be people that are in uni that they are aspiring to like perform a, as part of a band to tour the world as you are. You're very locally based, but you're all, you've also got like a an international following. And some people that go through the whole university process, they don't even achieve half of what you've achieved. You know, <laughs> um, for, for a lad who's, who left school with, and it's going to show me age now, all levels, I left school with four O-levels, with no career aspirations. I joined the army, did 10 years. Um, I did physical training instructor work in there, but right. a lot of my work was in Northern Ireland, and mm. also I worked in Africa quite a lot with the Foreign Office. And that is where I saw a lot of my trauma. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and I think part of my name, Leon the Pig Family, kind of fits in with being very much of my personal outview on life not mm. necessarily fitting in with what you'd expect of someone in the military uh, but yeah I did, sure. did a few years and um, it caused me a lot of eventually mental health issues but I think mm. that style of job and having the resilience gave me the power to get through it right but yeah. but, but I've come along I, I do work now online with the with a charity that works with ex-forces and it's surprising how many people that are or were in the forces that have took to poetry as mm. a healing process. Mm. Yeah, there's something very healing about writing. I think it's it's one of the cheapest forms of therapy if you can't get to see a therapist or, or whatever to get your, your your words down on on a page. But um, I know that the way that you first came about this was through your your love of musical lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always been a fan of. I'd say from the late seventies when I first started collecting vinyl and records uh, enjoying a good lyric from mm. from certain bands that I was into like Ian Jury The Stranglers yeah. um, and through the 80s listening to Echo the Bunnymen the Smiths they all had good yes. stories to tell yeah. there was a story or there was there's a subject matter that was well described and I think um, lots of other bands as well around that era and, and I think lyrics have been as important to me as what the sound is Yeah. so that it was naturally I I wrote in a very lyrical form and that rhymes or has yeah. a I've always in, in the eighties I was always into into hip hop and rap as well as well as the more punky stuff. So uh, listen to that. I can see that. that how you how you how you fuse it because like obviously I I went to see one of your performances um, at Word Central recently and one of the first things that struck me about your performance was that the rhythm to your words, the the rhythm t- to your poet, I mean, to say it was just like you reciting poetry, it was a whole performance, it was empowering, it was speaking for people that don't have a voice, it was everything, but it was the... Um, the, the real free-flowing rhythm and I also thought that it was amazing how you remember all your words so <laughs> yeah. so completely I mean what's that like for you to actually remember do you, do you, does it take a while or how, how does it go um, I, I'll, I'll let out a couple of trade secrets <laughs> whenever I'm writing I tend to write in four line verse so ah. was, it's like quatrain stands, I think the, the technical term is, right. I've learned since. I didn't know I was writing in those. But four lines of verse, and a lot of my spoken word pieces are written in poetry form, I'd say, of anything between 24, 28 or 32 lines. Uh, mm. So it'll be about six to eight verse. And and what I do is, once I've written them and they've been in my form for a bit and I've juggled words around on scrap paper, they'll go into my neat book um, where I write them in. And then... Once I think, oh, that'd be good live. That'd be that'd be a good piece to do. It's mm. a spoken word piece. I'll then learn them, and I learn the first line. Then I learn the first and the second line together. Then I learn the first, second, and third line together. Then I've learned the first verse. Then I recite wow. and recite the first verse. And I, I, you can get that in in about half an hour. And then I've gone to first verse and first line of the second verse, and, mm. and then I just keep going. Then I learn the second verse, and then I'll add the first and the second verse together, and I just build like that. 
Gosh. And it's it's so rhythmic. And I think that it, as well, what kind of really um, struck me, it's it's like something that, that Nina Simone used to say, a, a good artist will reflect the times. Yeah. And I think that is, is very much what you're actually doing with your uh, content matter of, of your poetry. Yeah. Is that something that was very was it was it to you like once once you you got through the the stage of you getting down how you're feeling about things that you thought and you know now want to do more of the the social observation the social commentary? Yeah, I'd say so. I I think initially it was about getting rid of the anger of myself about yeah. myself and and getting that out of my head as a cathartic release. But once I'd got all the anger and the frustration out of my head and I was feeling in a healthy, good place. Mm. I then found that I'd lifted my head up and I wasn't self-flagellating and kicking myself and stuff. I found I was getting angry with certain things in the world. Whether, sure. whether it be anything that's on the television, politically, socially, and I was not getting angry, but getting frustrated and annoyed with certain things. So I'd write about them instead of me. Mm. And I thought, I've got a platform now. So having a platform gives you the privilege to express an opinion, but express a story in a balanced way and, and let people know that this is going on in the world, mm. uh, people that might not understand, and, and, and giving it in my eyes. Yeah. And, and I did that, and, and not everything's angry. Like, we, we've we've spoke off-air before, and I write about funny little eavesdropping bus trips, tram trips, yeah. graffiti toilet walls. <laughs> I'll, I'll write yeah. about the lighter-hearted side of um, social commentary as well as the serious matters too. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things we can get angry about in the world at the moment, I think. I think we, we are living in a very angry society, as we've spoken about with uh, people's attitudes on uh, online. But I think one of the things that you do with your work is we kind of you. You help us navigate our own emotions as much as your own, I would say. Would you think? Would you agree with that? Yeah, probably. Um, I think I give people the window to say, this is going on in my life, and it might be very similar to something that's going on in your life. Or or you might have the same strong feelings about a particular subject matter that I do. Uh, uh, And that gives me a platform to share not only my views and opinions, but of those other people around us that that may be a bit more shy, that may be a little bit more feeling, a bit more suppressed or not willing to stand up on a soapbox and say the words um, where where I am quite happy (laughs) to, to share my opinions and words, yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's it's a talent that has been long uh kept in the shadows so so now you're making up for for lost time this is officially your second career isn't it leon <laughs> I, I, I it is, yeah it's it's this uh, for one of, of, of another phrase of a manchester band is the second coming oh, um, yes yeah. um i'd say yeah i've done the hard yards working for the government um working for um other people and it's now time to Enjoy and put a big smile on my face, and hopefully smiles on others through through art and 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 do it because it is a serious, viable mm-hmm. career now. And 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 with that, like you've alluded to, I think doing work with kids in workshops, doing work with ex-veterans in workshops, as a side, not necessarily a side project, but one string to the bow, as well as music, as well as stage comparing or spoken word and music and then making records they, they've all got an equal level of energy from me so yeah. it's um th- 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 there's so many ways that i like to reach out and and get and give um and give an entry point to the art of of what i do so well yeah i mean so right now you've just recently released your um ep with the dirt which is your your band with you with your wife isn't it yeah yeah our first album it's yeah. um 11 tracks of psychedelic punk it's had some good reviews from the um, underground um music press and we've been doing a few gigs around the country with it and as i was saying to you leon i Sometimes people will say, oh, this is like, oh, this is music for just a a certain audience and it will just be like closed off at that. But as you said, you've got lots of different entry points in into um, experience the, the the creative icon, which is 
definitely on the, the pig farmer. So I've been playing some of your um, tracks from, from the Dirt album. Um, I'm, I, I was scared at first. I was like, the, the Dirt, am I going to have to worry about the lyric being too sweary for the radio? They're not at all. They're absolutely uh, fine. Um, one of the tracks that we've been, been playing a few times is I See. So I want to play that for, for the listeners now. But do you want to tell us a little bit uh, about this track? Yeah, it's um, I've, I've, when I do workshops, I, I earn things. I work off different pick a sense or pick something, and I just wanted to write a poem about what I'd done or what I'd seen, and I went off the site and and there's no better place to write about a bit of social commentary than a place that I've very familiar with, the Northern Quarter in Manchester. Mm. And about how probably over the last, especially the last five, maybe maybe longer now with COVID, but how it's changed and and, it, sure. and, and it's not. It, it used to be very much a wonky, angular, creative underground hub, and it's become more smooth, polished, hmm. and changed. I'd say. Yeah. So I wanted to put a comment on there of how um, things have moved on. Um, and don't get me wrong, the area is better. It used to be very much um, an area where lots of drug dealing occurred, lots mm-hmm. of lots of crime, and and that has been somewhat diminished. But um, coming a bit too mainstream, maybe in another way. <laughs> yeah, probably. Art gets pushed out, and especially when one of the iconic venues in that area is being going through court with noise abatement when someone moves next door to a live music venue and complains about the noise. I think that's utterly crazy. The, the, the music venue has been there night and day for 30 years. Mm. Someone decides to build a flat which has bypassed probably certain construction laws or regulations and, and, and they're the ones that are the aggrieved party and not the venue. So I think if you're going to move into an area of a city and call it a village, mm. you don't expect church bells and village green even though you're going to call it a village, because mm. it ain't a village. It's a city, it's vibrant, it's Manchester, it's where a lot of good music happens. And if you stifle that, mm-hmm. then you stifle the history, of the part of the history of the city, of why it's an iconic city and why someone like me from distance moves to it. Ah, oh, yes. So let's have a bit of this. Yeah. I see. Tribute Elvis. 
motorways of mice Square miles of laboratory testing Leave your inner circle for that village vice I see your nice, clean, tidy art I see your walls of cream and magnolia You're eating off steel, slate and dry driftwood Will you still think this is trendy when you are older? And I see people intoxicated by other thoughts. I see the hard and mimic their maker. I count my blessings, not those calories or steps. You go jog down gutters back to suburbia. And they're telling tall tales Are your rabbit eyes lost, locked or shot? Are your rabbit eyes all locked? Are your rabbit eyes just lost? Are your rabbit eyes in shock? Fashion above passion at all costs Fashion above passion, oh I think not See, fashion above passion can rot. That was The Dirt there with IC. You're listening to The Sunday Tea Show right here on All FM 96.9 on your radio, allfm.org, wherever you are in the world online. And my special guest live in the studio today is the fantastic Leon the Pig Farmer, a.k.a. Jack Corner, who will be performing at the Levy Punk Fest next Sunday. Great to have you on the show. It was great to hear your track in the studio as well. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> Um, I like that one. It's it's it, we do play that one live when we do the, the full set, so it, it it's a nice one to do. It's nice to hear going out on the radio. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's loud and proud on on the radio. Um, the music obviously adds this whole other dimension because you, you know you, you were saying that you you'll be performing as Leon the Pig Farm, and you 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 may not really be performing as the Dirt. But you you will do the spoken word version of that, and obviously that will entice the the crowd to find out what it sounds like t- to music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, th- th- that track in particular, you can hear the click of the loop pedal of my loop pedal at the end, which we, we left in on purpose. Oh, wow! At the end is me clicking the because I okay. the, I do the drumming, and it's on a, a what's called like a sample pad. It's four four pads, so the tom, snare, and the kick drum are all on like an electronic drum pad and, and I put it on a loop when I'm doing the vocals but everything else on that is done by my wife Sachiko Wakizaka and, and she does all the guitars on loops so the album was recorded effectively live over two days whereas an album can probably two days. two days most <laughs> bands go to the studio for weeks yeah. and I think they take sometimes from what I've heard you can take up to what, a few days getting the drums down mm. to get to the beginning but um, we recorded that um, each track of the 11 two or three takes and chose the best ones that were live which is why um, we wanted it that way because it was a bit more raw energy it's not perfectly synchronised it's as sure. if it's like if you would hear us live I might come in half a second late I might come in a little bit early there might, there's a different undulating pace to the beat but that's what the dirt's about. It's 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 the rawness. It's the DIY of a of a married couple creating distortion, noise, and spoken word and, and anarchistic sort of radical words. I guess. Well, well, I love that, and I love the actual um, like the the backstory of how you actually begun to um, start off the the dirts because that that was a a lockdown project in a sense, wasn't it? Effectively, yeah. It just before um, at the time. Uh, my wife was then still living in Japan and she was over for a few months just before lockdown kicked in Okay. and and we created some stuff online she'd got some of her guitar work over because she'd come for a lengthy period and she was creating some stuff and putting these sort of demo tracks on on the computer and I put some vocals down 
and then we did a second little EP which was electronic and it was all done just sat in the living room with with a keyboard and synths and sounds mm. even when we went out walking we'd, we'd create sounds of music uh, through sounds of a car going over a bridge or oh, water, wow. coming, water coming through the canal yeah like sort of flowing and we'd add little things like that into one track we did a bit of experimental stuff and, and so we created two EPs and then threw them online created the dirt um, and then lockdown came in so we couldn't do anything else with them and mm. Satchiko had to go back to Japan um, so they just kind of sat there as a reference point that, of what will happen when we come out of lockdown and then Satchiko came back brought more of a a massive obscenely great collection of loop pedals and Wow. Um, effects pedal boards and if anyone sees us live they'll see that she's got this massive big Starship Enterprise not too dissimilar to your decks for the, 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 the amount of technical equipment you, you get in a radio show but they're all these little boxes and they all make different sounds and effects and she mm-hmm. makes them all together and, and creates the music all the guitars that people might hear in there whether it be the bass line the rhythm guitar the lead guitar it's all done live simultaneously by Satchical through loop pedals Gosh! So did she teach you how, how to use some of this equipment as well? Did she actually teach you how, how to uh, use it? She gave me uh, one of her loop pedals, which I then learned, and then she gave me some, because she can play some drums, she gave me a little bit of um, insight in timing. Because mm. I thought I've got pretty good timing, I can rhythmically, rhythmically talk, but then putting yeah. the drum beats down and loops was a whole different ball game. Wow! I, I was so disjointed to start with, so I just kept practicing, and then every so often now I'll go down and create a new drum beat, and we're just doing two new tracks, and both of them have got me doing drums on loop, but they're very simple beats. We don't want to overcomplicate the sound. Yeah. The, the drums is literally there to support a rhythm for the vocals and for Sachiko to create the, the maelstrom of noise and, and the, the guitar work. So we don't want to be one of those big heavy drumming rock bands. Sure. It's, it's more a case of keeping the percussion quite simple. Yeah. It, it suits that I do it or Sachiko can do it on a drum machine through a electronics. But it's got it's got that that rocky edge, but it's also it, it's not really distracting you from from your powerful words. So that's they do like balance each other um really well. But I I was listening to it to another um podcast that that you'd got when you um that you'd done where you were saying that you you'd heard you, your your wife um, playing around with different uh, tracks and and you were like I I can put some lyrics to that and I yeah. thought that that was lovely it was just like so so organically um, put together and you're you're creating these amazing performances for something that you you weren't really again trying that hard to do it's like you know you get these bands oh we got to be a great rock band and everything yeah. this has just come about so organically so yeah so naturally it's my wife was a. Uh, uh, when I first met her, I went out to Japan and I saw her band out there playing uh, a three-piece band called Single Man, and I went to watch her, and I ended up doing a bit of DJing on the night. Um, took a memory stick of a load of music out, and in between bands, I did a bit of that. Uh, and then I watched her, and I thought how great she was. And then, then we talked about uh, putting some music, and I never thought it would go this way. I thought it was going to be very much more like some other spoken words would do and have a backing track or mm. an ambient sound to put the words to. Yeah. But when we started going and, and Sachiko's great complexity of guitar work, it, it'd be shameful not to let her loose with her musical talent mm. and just be a sound maker. So to, to create riffs, to create sounds and loops, it, it, it's, it, it was such the, the right thing to do and, and like you said it was organic it, it came naturally there was it's not forced yeah we, we don't say right we're going to tour 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 we need to now everyone's yeah. heard it we need to write more 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 <laughs> yeah. it's like we've we've put this album out we have got two new tracks that we're rehearsing and practicing but we've got no pressure to put them out live because people are still hearing the new album still yeah. and we don't Gosh. play a city more than once twice a year and Manchester we don't oversaturate it we've made sure we're not going to do that um, we, we're not young bucks that are in it for a big record label and, no. and big tours we're of a certain age but we want to show that as a second career if you've never had it you, you, you can certainly go into the creative arts later on in life there, there is no age limit or 
anything like that. I think it, it is so inspiring. And obviously, it's all about that authenticity, isn't it? Where you, you're allowing yourself the, the freedom to, to make mistakes and go with the flow of everything um, that you're doing. And it's like big congratulations right now because it is kind of like your, your anniversary month, isn't it? More or yeah. less between getting together and, and creating stuff and everything. So, so, it, so it's great. It looks like as if it's really like bringing your uh, whole other dimension um, to your relationship as well. But I just want to like go back to your um, books because you've just recently brought out your, your second collection. So it's not only just the album, it's also your, your second um, book. You're on to a third one, aren't you, as well? Yeah. Um, but I wasn't, let, let's go back to, to the beginning. So, talking myself uh, out of trouble, uh, that was off the back of some spoken word performances, wasn't it? Yeah, spoken mm. word performances and then going into lockdown um, that I had to keep myself busy. And I, as always, I don't think you have to be a performer for a certain length of time before you put an album out or you've got to be so established before you can put a book out. I thought it was mm. right to put a collection together and I had enough material and I had a friend who, a recovering alcoholic, who's a brilliant artist, whose work I thought would work really well. So I collaborated with an artist. It's not just about words, it's about art which means that there are more, like all our, my, like we talk about entry points into my creative mm -hmm. little hub of what I do, the book then brings more people in because it's not just poetry, it's art, it's storytelling, and I'm bringing someone else on board who can benefit from this project, as well as Emmaus, who we've talked about before, that I gave uh, for the first, I can't remember how many, first few hundred copies, I gave a contribution of every book to them so they so a local homeless charity that deals with addiction and stuff as well oh, it's a national charity but there's one near me they, they benefited as well so it was about um, helping out all the people that had helped me and um, and put and giving back so talking myself out of trouble was the first book and it does what it says on the tin um, talking and writing literally got me out of a troublesome life it's a very interesting book title that because you know <sighs> I don't know, talking yourself out. People usually think oh, I'm going to talk myself into to trouble. Into trouble. <laughs> and I've done that many a time over the 30 years that yeah. preceded it, yeah. And then you've like talked yourself out of trouble and talked yourself into this whole um, other career. But like, like we, we share um, a friend in common, that, that the lovely Andy, who, who was your first uh, spoken word night, wasn't it? Your yeah. first night. How was that first night for you at, at Speakeasy? Nerve wracking. Was that your first performance ever, wasn't it? First proper one. I'd, mm. I'd gone to a poetry workshop in York when I was home at my mum's and done a Sunday afternoon one in a library and it was more of a discussion and talk about words. But my first stand-up in front of a crowd was at Andy's Speakeasy Night when he did it in Stretford before he moved to Dulcimer. Mm -hmm. and, and The I Sip Club, I think, is that, that tiny yeah, little place, yeah. yeah. So I'd done that and the room was packed full of people that had books that had notepads that were going up and some that were doing it without any prompts. And I'm like, oh, what have I just let myself <laughs> in for? What have I let myself And that's in a for? small, intimate venue as yeah, well. Yeah, can see your startled eyes. Mm. Um, but I came off with an adrenaline rush and I loved it. And I loved the the reading and people understanding where where I was coming from. So that was the catalyst then, I think, to do more. So then I started doing more poetry spoken word open mic nights and i got a real appetite for it mm. and just kept on going and then obviously you got the response from the, from response, the ground yeah, yeah so and, and then it opened up and and it accelerated over the next six months really quickly it was a very steep trajectory of getting into the spoken word and music market within manchester because musicians wow. musicians got me on supporting them and promoters in manchester had me because of the rhythmic cadence probably of my words, yeah. they had me supporting musicians with sets or introductory sets between bands. Gosh. So it was well received very quickly. And that was your music career forming all, all in the... And that wasn't what you ever intended when you were just having like this panic attack episode and getting a few words down. You yeah. never realised it was going to go that way. No, never thought. There was no intention of write words, perform words, 
write more words, get a bigger name, <laughs> form a band, and then, yeah. then take it round England and have a vinyl record. If mm-hmm. you'd have asked me that five years ago, I'd, I'd have said, in five years' time, you will have a vinyl record, I won't behave. Never. Your music so suits vinyl, though. I just think, you know, and when someone's played it a few times and it's getting a couple of crackles in it as well, it's just going to layer upon layer be like so organic and so what you're saying on the tin, the, yeah. the dirt. I just think, yeah, I just absolutely love that. Um, I was asking you, what was your first poem? And I don't know if you if you want to perform that for for us or do, do you feel like you've you've gone like way past that that no, first I always hold on to them they're very fond of the first what I ever wrote was like a, a mantra nuts with guts and I don't know if I could prim- I, I think I probably could remember it and the first one I ever did live was one called toolbox which mm. came out of my therapy and which which yeah, I can do it if you want. Yeah, no, I'd love it. I think, you know, introduce the, the listeners. If you've not heard Leon the Pig Farmer before, he's an amazing um, performance poet. And even though this is radio, I think you will definitely be able to hear what he's all about. So take it away, Leon. I was asked to have a toolbox to help me through this pain. I replied, instruments of all kind, they're all different and on the same. Yes, there's pills and lavender that facilitate dormant nights. There are country walks and audio files. They antagonise the frights. But tools that I depend on are those of flesh and blood, the ones that lift you when you're down and drag from darkened woods. There are those that raised and nurtured me, provide a place of calm, those that bull talk straight to me and they shield me from the car harm. There's those that let me bend an ear and rant on any whim, those that forgive everything of guilt of rage of sin. People open front doors to make me feel at home and some just send a random text so I know I'm not alone. There's a happy child, the blissful one, who opened up my eyes, so calm and tranquil sent to me, they soothe my battle cries. But tools are what have made me, they've built me firm and strong, they lured the phoenix to rise, amplified the peacock song. And these tools are what have made me, They've built me firm and strong, they lured the phoenix to rise, and amplified the peacock song. So tools and made for talking, and that's not all they do. So one of these days, these tools, they're going to make me break on through. That is the toolbox. Oh, wow, that's that's amazing. And it, again, so, so empowering, not just for you, but for anyone listening to it. It yeah. really kind of um, personifies your whole mental health journey, doesn't it, as well? Yeah, there's a line, there's a couple of lines there that I repeat. And the reason I repeat them is because when you were giving orders in the army, you repeated the mission twice. Mm. In, in, a, in, a, in, a, in when you were giving what's called giving orders to to the platoon or whatever. Yeah. There's, a, there's a part of your orders where you go through um, objectives, but there's a mission, and you repeat the mission twice to make sure that people understand it. Yeah. So there's a couple of lines in there that when I perform it live, I repeat them. So it's very much like I'm you're going giving through, the orders. I'm giving the orders to, oh, wow. to myself. So, yeah. And it's all about giving them to. It, it's like it's telling people what's helped me, but it's about what the mission is yeah the, yeah the mission of breaking on through and gosh and so when i do it live and there's a couple of other poems that i do that with i repeat a certain paragraph mm. a couple of times and it just feels natural and it, it's just a tip of the hat with the mental recovery poems mm-hmm. of something that happened in the past which isn't always bad it gives you the give me the framework and structure to write and yeah just there's there's little lots of like little hidden reasons in Stuff where oh, I, I love that. It's like all these little Easter eggs to, to your um, past life in a way. And what you've just explained there, obviously, it's like transferable skills, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you've still you've still got. Uh, and I guess as well, it, it's a way of you not kind of um, putting that career all the way in a, in a box. Because some people be like, oh, that, that part of my life was so stressful. It was so traumatic. I just want to forget it completely. But you're kind of like taking what you can still use from that now and bringing it into your second career, which is those transferable skills. So, so that, that's really interesting. I think, that, I think for too long maybe 30, 20 some 30 years I did box it up and I did put it into the back of my mind right. which was the unhealthy thing to do Sure. so yeah. now there's some things to be celebrated there are some things to be let go, not forgotten but let go and, it, and it's for me now to choose what I decide to harbour and what I decide to just let set, let sail and and they, you are then in control of your thoughts and your mind if you do that hmm. so um, rather than just boxing them up and burying them, let them out and 
it's up for me to choose then. I keep the nice stuff, I let the horrible stuff go mm-hmm. and just let it drift away because it's not in the head then. Mm. And, and I think that's a good thing to learn through mental health recovery that if you do start harbouring anything, whether it be animosity, anger, frustration, it's unhealthy, it's not good for you. There's a big problem these days with actually getting men to talk about stuff. You know, they don't always want to, do they? No way. Um, so I think it's very kind of liberating that, that you are um, doing that. Having, like, when you think about men in the... You see it like on on um, Remembrance Sundays and stuff, and you hear kind of like people's memories, and they say, "Oh, my dad never spoke about that. My granddad never spoke <laughs> about that." And it was like you know, nearly took it to his grave with him, kind of thing. Um, and even nowadays, it might not be the, the war, but it'll be something else. But it will still be men keeping that to themselves. It's something that leads to all the rise in, in suicide with, with mm-hmm. males as well. Um, do you do anything ar- around that with men? Yeah, I've, um, every gig I do, there always seems to be, especially in the earlier days, middle-aged men, men of my age, coming up and going, well, you've just kind of described my life, what happens to me at night, mm. and, 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 and we're bad for it, especially people of a certain age. I think the younger generation are probably... Uh, got a grasp of it a little bit better than us um but i've heard it as well so many times oh my granddad was in the army never spoke about any mm-hmm. of it and and that was probably a detriment to um his mental well-being in in the long run um i do work with um veteran groups now where i do mm. the talks or i'll do workshops and i just say that expression of thoughts is one of the best ways to increase your mental well-being and and I've worked with groups where men will go and sit around in a circle and talk and and let share the feelings because it used to be just go rattle off in a pub over god knows how many pints and let loose your anger and that was kind of where I went but it never did me any good because um, Mm. doing it over alcohol on a constant basis isn't a good therapeutic sort of method to, to, to release any tension so to do it in a room full of people that are sober and then feeling the, the strength to get their thoughts out in that room on that particular day, it, it's very liberating now and I think there's a lot more groups. I know you've got all these big man's clubs and these man clubs, men talk, yeah. and all these groups that are setting up now. And I've got a few friends that have gone fully sober and they, they, they talk about their mental health on groups and they embrace their sobriety or they embrace abstinences and... And it's good and it's liberating now. I think we're learning, but it's still... I think we've got a long way to go. Cause long way to go, yeah. yeah. I think it, it's interesting, like, the way you say that, that the pub was more or less the, the therapy centre in yeah. a way, but then at the very beginning of this conversation, you said that you realised you needed to change your whole life when you, when you ended up drunk somewhere yeah. and, you know, that was that kind of thing. So it's, it's funny, it's like, you know, you've, you've come round full circle... What you seem to excel at, though, is creating conversations, being very um, approachable in in your environments. You always seem to encourage people to to have a a chat with you as well. So, I mean, how how conscious was that as what you were going to be as an artist? I think that's just um, a a continuum of my personality mm. I think it's just I've always been chatty been friendly opened up conversations yeah. and um, met a lot of my friends either at music events and after I've engaged in conversation or met them in other social environments so I think opening up a dialogue and a conversation has come natural to me but um, I always feel if you're going to go do an event and you're going to create a persona on stage that is Leon the pig farmer or the vocalist in the dirt who does have quite an... There is an aggressive, full frontal attitude to it which can be a little bit oppressive. I think it's necessary to show the equilibrium and the balance that on the other side, I'm not personally that that kind of person. (laughs) I'm not the unapproachable ogre who rants about politics, life, gentrification, who um, inequality, whether it be through sex, race or any other um, 
marginalised community, although I might be quite stomping predatory on stage and ranting about it, that is Leon doing that. And that's why the Leon's got the name Leon. When mm. I come back off the mic, I become Jack. And, <laughs> and Jack's quite a chatty, amenable character. So, and that's like Jack, little Jack corner there, sat yeah. in his corner. And we were chatting about this um, off mic before about the fact that um, when I went to see you at your um, Word Central performance, I, I'd not seen you before. I'd, I'd heard your name, but I never really like knew who you were. It's like it's a distinctive name, isn't it, Leon yeah. the Pig Farmer? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like I'd never seen you. Um, and then I think I might have been sat on the same row as you, and I just like I, you know, you were like you, you were just there, so humble and everything. And the next thing you got up on stage, I was like, whoa, this is an avalanche <laughs> of of a, of a whole new character. But I think it's it's actually interesting for your audience to, to to know that that when they go and see a Leon the Pig Farmer performance you you are 100% this other character but then they can also get, have a chat with you, give you feedback and you yeah. know actually soak in the, the energy that you're actually transmitting. I, th- I think I, th- I say that sometimes on stage as well um, first of all when I say yeah I'm Leon the Pig Farmer I've started also saying because it that I don't kill pigs, I'm a real farmer. <laughs> um, and I should have said at the beginning, like, yeah, if there is any vegans or vegetarians listening at the moment, um, I've never killed a pig in my life. I've never reared an animal to be killed. Um, I am not a vegetarian, although I live a part and mostly a, a vegetarian lifestyle, but I would never say I was a vegetarian because I do consume meat on, on occasions. However, I've never harmed an animal like that mm. so um, it, it was challenged once at a Northern Green Gathering activist gig I did where I did oh, it says, God. Yeah, someone says you're a real pig farmer I'm like no or, uh, and they, 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 they did say they, w- they would have offered some threatening behaviour if I had been a pig farmer I went well I wouldn't really been on a stage where um, Extinction Rebellion Just Stop Oil um, <laughs> Um, other other activist groups were giving platforms for discussion. I wouldn't be coming to this where nearly everybody is vegan, vegetarian and foragers. So um, I, I do kind of make that clear that um, I am welcoming. I don't hurt animals. And um, and when I'm off stage, I am a chatty lad. And I do hang about. I don't, I'm not one of these people that will come and do a performance and then run, to, uh, take the cash and go. You're or, not there or, in your ivory or, towers yeah, kind of thing. That's yeah. it, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't do that. I'll, I'll come and sit in the crowd and watch the other artists, and I'll I'll hang about all day if it's a festival or all weekend, which I've done before. If I've gone and just performed one day, I'll, I'll yeah. hang out a weekend and get to know people because wow. they're the people that will then create my new stories, and then and we'll everyone's got a story and everyone's got a backstory and, yeah. and everyone's a character, and, and these are the sort of people that um, I just love taking snippets from and putting them into spoken word pieces. Oh yeah, well, I wasn't sure whether I was like going to see a, a guy in his muddy wellies and just like this whole farmer or, or what I was going to see. Um, but it, it's it's great for creating the curiosity, isn't it? You know, who is this person? And I think you know, it's like what Oscar Wilde said that you know it's better to be talked about than not talked about. So already the name is like yeah. bringing up all all this stuff. I thought that it was just about um, a, a film, and you said that it was kind of reminiscent of some of the themes of, of that film but but lots more and more personal stuff to you besides that yeah the, the, the film's about a Jewish guy that inherits a pig farm which already creates discussion around someone that was brought up in a Jewish family who genetically and hereditary wasn't Jewish because it was about an artificial insemination in the, in the 70s mm. he isn't Jewish he's, he's been brought up a pro, uh, under a sort of a cultural appropriation with a Jewish family believing he was their son but then he finds out he's actually um, genetically the son of a Yorkshire pig farmer so all that he's been taught about not consuming pork and in his life is actually wrong and he he's, he, he then goes and raises a pig farm that's quite like me as a, probably someone who sits left field in politics mm. and who's very liberal and open minded who joined the military. They, they don't, a, a Jewish guy running a pig farm doesn't correlate, neither does someone with me with my sort of personal views colour it to a military career. Mm, that whole which, juxtaposition. Yeah, which is why I think after 10 years I'd reached my promotional ceiling, as, as, as it was said once, because I can't keep my mouth shut and I'm too opinionated. So I'd reached a point where mm. I couldn't be brainwashed or narrated into a certain view anymore. But the main reason, which is 
about a friend of mine, Jason, in 1993 so it was just after the film so he may I've never asked him if it was in relation to the film we were out one night and and as people in the military it was a lot of the time there was a lot of IRA activity on the mainland here as well as Germany and in Ireland right so if you were out and about socially you would never say my name's Jack Horner I work for Her Majesty's Forces because right. if, you, if you're out in the day or you, you never know there was under vehicle booby traps going never, on right and, yeah. there, and there was other things happening so uh, and the IRA did have a lot of intelligence cells knocking around the UK. So it's all very James Bond, really. Yeah, uh, it was literally just <laughs> have a pseudonym just to make life a lot easier and a, and a false profession. Right, um, okay. Rather than telling one, because there is a bit of stigma with anyone that was in the army. Mm. So it was nothing untowards. It was just, and I remember being out one night and someone was talking to my friend Jason and he told everyone, and it was back in the days of grunge and shoegaze music, and he was there in a pair of old ripped jeans, a pair of Dr. Martins and a woolly jumper, and he, he did actually look like he was a farmer. And we were <laughs> up in the top end of North Yorkshire and he told someone that he was called Leon. Uh, that was his name, and that he was a pig farmer. And I remember my mate, who I'm still right. really close to, remember swivelling my head and going, well, he was like... <laughs> and he's from Western Supermare, so he had this kind of West Country accent. Oh, so, that would match. That so would so it matched, yeah. so he told everyone that day that he was Leon and it was a pig farmer. And when my friend, who was a promoter, asked me, I need a name for a poster, do you want Jack Horner? I said, no, put Leon the pig farmer yeah. on it. And he went, where's that come from? I went, it's just instinctively come that I talk about the military... And, and another angle of it was with my manifestation through threat and hypersensitivity mm. was having a you having to use a, a false name if you're out socially. So I thought there's nothing better than using a stage name of a friend of mine who called once called himself Leon and told everyone he was a pig. <laughs> That's an amazing story. So it's, it, it, it was worth tips, hearing that. Yeah. yeah. It, it again, tips its hat to something an anecdotal story from the army which needs celebrating. It definitely does. Uh, did you ever tell that friend what yeah, he's created he did, yeah, in did. you? I phoned him up and showed him the poster, and um, I think I might be meeting up with him. And he's he's still serving. Um, he's wow, up, he's still up, serving. He's gone up the ranks, and he's um, gosh bit the bullet for want of a better phrase. And he's still he's he's a commissioned officer now. Um, and little would it be known if I told his real name and everything on air that um, this lad used to pretend that he was a pig fan. <laughs> So. But but I think that that gives you a real insight into into character development before you actually needed it, didn't it? Because yeah. like you always needed to to think of these alter egos in a sense. Yeah. So you already had that kind of framework, and now you're you're re recycling it into something that. It is actually part of your, your second career. Second career now, and yeah, like, <laughs> like we've we, we said, and I tell other people, it's like I am Jack Horner. Um, the moment I put my hand on that microphone, I go, hello, I'm Leon the Pig Farmer. So that alter ego kicks in, mm. and that pseudonym and that character becomes real for that five, ten, twenty, half an hour, or for whatever length of time <laughs> that I'm booked for. Uh, and then I let him loose, and then I, I put him back in a cage for a few days until he comes back out again. And you never had any actual like formal training in the performance arts, did you? No, I think I did a two-minute cameo on a school <laughs> panto once. Um, and, and that was it. Um, never had any real interest in being in the performing arts, but people have said to me, you've got this stage presence and you, mm. with the microphone and the way that you face the audience mm -hmm. and you walk around and you look and you're, you're front presented I'm like yeah. no that's just I think that's just me in a natural way wow. and and I want to engage I don't want to hide behind this veil of uh, other material whether it be a book or a phone or I, I want to people to know that they can look in my eyes and what's coming out of my mouth is good true stories yeah that, that I've either experienced felt or observed mm. and, and and that's how I like to get it across it's it's the most humane way of holding conversation. Really. It's, it's very um, human. And I think, yeah, you, you, you're right. Sometimes you'll go to um, like an open mic gig and the performer is like there in their own little bubble just looking at their phone or, or tablet. They can't really engage with the audience. They're just like reading their, their thing and mm. then, then they're going off and then, and then that's that. What you're doing, as I, as I said to you before, Leon, it's like... You wake us up, you know, you can go to a poetry event and be half asleep, can't you? You wake people up straight away <laughs> yeah. and you make them listen. And then, as you said, what 
I did like realise that you were repeating some phrases sometime. I didn't know the backstory why it's even more um relevant now, but it's like, you know, you hit you tell the message, you you hit home the message and in most cases it it's something that is like gonna make them feel better about themselves and, and what's gone on. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to think so. I'd like to it, it's about not knowing if people are out there suffering, you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. There's a few of us out here. And and with me being able to have a platform and tell other people, having solidarity and having a community of people makes you stronger as an individual, knowing that there's people you can rely on or help or talk to. Mm. And and whether it be reading a book or listening to a bit of music of mine or someone else's that's gone through some troubles and strifes, you know you're not alone and you and and I've just proven from what I've gone over the journey of the last four years that that light at the end of the tunnel can shine bright. Yeah. It, it is possible mm. to go through the horrible, gnarly, gut-wrenching trauma, anxiety, depression, and yeah. the crippling feeling of in bed. Of, I used to think I had a frozen shoulder. I, I, I literally, it was, it was night sweats and cramps and, mm. and, and the, after, within three months of walking and stopping any formal level of employment in a toxic environment my shoulders unfroze wow and I, I couldn't i couldn't touch my back or put my arms behind my back i couldn't touch between my shoulder blades if i banged my arm on a door frame i would be in excruciating pain yeah. i used to grind my teeth i had tension at the side of my yeah. heads I, um, my achilles and any joints around wrists would ache and, and th- that is that is that's all the tension. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's holding like on to everything. Yeah. You're, you're holding on to every bit of horrible energy mm. and all these acids that are just moving through your body that, that, that your brain's releasing all these different levels of sort of um, yeah, serotonin, chemicals. chemicals. Yeah. It's, it's not good and they will harbour in certain areas of your body. And, and I learned that um, having a good, healthy mind, at least, can solve half those problems. Mm. Uh, People don't really realise the body-mind connection, do they? But you've obviously really experienced it firsthand. Yeah, 